0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord. Father, we just thank you in the name of Jesus for your beautiful presence. For the joy of seeing our children depart for Sunday school, may they be blessed. May they be blessed. Lord, we thank you that we have this awesome privilege all the time of communing with you by the Spirit. This walk isn't just a Sunday morning walk. It's seven days a week. Your love for us continually is a revelation to behold and to enjoy. And we we are so in in awe of you again today. Thank you you so much much for this this chance again. again. Help Help us as we we journey journey through through the Word of God God this morning morning, to understand understand what the Spirit is speaking. Give us us eyes to see and ears to hear. hear, And be be pleased with what what transpires, Lord. I pray that in no way your Word is misrepresented this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. What a joy to be here this morning. Amen. How have you all been? Amen. You all doing okay? Praise God. We've been having a fantastic time up in Shannon. Never known anything like it in all my 20-odd years of ministry. I've never seen anything like the last 18 months. I just can't get over what God is doing. People have come to Christ. And if I was to tell you their backgrounds and stories, I know local people who've come to Christ. And if I was to tell you the background and story, I would have said to myself, not a hope. One such man is in our church Two years ago, I said, not a hope of this man I never set foot in the church. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. But now he comes for guitar lessons and chooses that leads worship on Wednesday. Uh, just amazing how God is at work. And we've had many conversions. We've grown by about a third over the last 18 months. And we give God praise and thanks for what he's doing. He is moving. Despite what's happening, folks. Despite all the fears and all the stuff that's going down. God is in control. Amen. He knows what he is doing. The scripture says, therefore, we shall not fear, though the earth is moved and the mountains themselves cast into the midst of the sea. What have you or I to fear? Amen. Praise God. So we bless his name. Uh, This morning, I want to um, share with you some thoughts on the atonement uh, wrought by Jesus Christ at Calvary. Uh, What I'm about to share with you comes at the end of a long journey of study. Um, and this particular part, I've been studying the doctrine of Christ in great detail over the last 18 months or so. And this particular segment, the atonement, has brought me to my knees, has um, opened my heart in a way I never thought possible, has delivered to me an awe and reverence I never thought I w- would be achieved. I don't mean it in the achievement in terms of a reward I'm talking about in a journey. God has so enriched me with the atonement wrought by Christ. And I thought this morning, it's been on my heart for weeks. Or so What will I speak? What will I speak? He said, you'll speak on the atonement. You'll speak on the atonement wrought by my son, Jesus Christ at Calvary. I said, fair. Lord, that's correct. That's what you want. That's what I'll do. So will you open with me, please, in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. Now, for most people, the atonement is a matter of Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. And though we're able to draw down much benefit from that, and much grace has accrued to us, many, sadly, many Christians never progress beyond that particular small-wedged revelation of what Christ has accomplished for us at Calvary. I hope this morning in our journey to give you some pause for thought. See, so many Christians have... You know, the Christian life is analogous to the, to the life of, of the normal physical development. You know, you get saved... You've been born again. If you're a year a Christian, you're about a year in the eyes of God, like a baby. And you get to four years, you can just about walk and run, but you're only four years old in the eyes of the Lord. But there comes a time when the boy becomes a man, the girl becomes a woman. There comes a time when it's time for us to grow up in God. There comes a time when, when it becomes time for us to be able to now become teachers, as it says in the book of Hebrews, able to teach others. And if you're not able to teach others, Uh, about the doctrines of Christ then they'll never grow and we should learn more about the atonement of the of the Lord Jesus Christ from the scriptures than ever we should from our singing and from our songs most of our insights in the atonement come from our songs and we sing such beautiful songs in Christ alone who took on flesh uh, we, sing, we sing again this morning about the atonement in that wonderful song, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. But really our knowledge of the atonement should come from study of the scriptures. And one of the reasons why that's not possible for many people, it's not because they're intellectually unable, it's because they're distracted. Too much time is spent watching screens. Too much time is spent playing PlayStation. I don't say that to rebuke or to scold. I say it because it's the truth. And not enough time is spent in withdrawing by yourself to a lonely and quiet place, opening the Bible and saying, Lord, open the eyes of my heart. When Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, oh, I tell you, that was some church. That grew to be one of the biggest churches in the region for the first 100 years. That was some church he established, the Apostle Paul. But when he wrote to them, and they were a tongue-talking, miracle-working, Bible-believing, evangelistic church, they had everything And Paul said, he said about them, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope. I'm sure they would have said to him, Paul, we know the hope. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He would have said back, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called. And sadly, for many Christians, beyond Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, and I'm now going to heaven, very little is known by by Christians today of the atonement. And I hope this morning to set you on a journey of curiosity. I hope to pique your interest today. I hope that when you leave this place today, you'll say, I'm cutting down my PlayStation time. I'm going to get me the Bible. I'm going to get me some good Christian books. You know, we, are, we have phenomenal Christian authors that can take you into depth on these things. And that as you begin your journey, as I begin mine, your eyes of your heart will be enlightened and you will find yourself in awe in a way you've never been awed before. You'll find yourself living not just a Sunday morning experience in worship, But you'll find yourself living the Sunday morning experience on Monday morning on your way to work. You'll find find yourself living the, the Sunday morning experience on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. There'll be something in your heart that has thrilled you. It has thrilled you so much. It has filled you with a reverence that you could never have known if God hadn't opened your eyes to see it. And it's under your nose, folks. We waste so much of our time frittering our time away on useless things, but God is calling His church to deeper things all the time, deeper things. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Leviticus 16. We'll take up our reading at verse 20. And when He has made an end of the atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of the meeting, and the altar... He shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel, all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting it on the head of the goat, and he shall send it away into the wilderness by a suitable man. Thus the goat shall bear on itself their iniquities to an inhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Now this portion of Scripture pertains to the great feast of Yom Kippur. This is the great day of atonement. Aaron is the high priest coming as the second highest officer of the land, second only to the king. But I want to say something about the office of Aaron. His office is so far beneath that of Christ as the earth is beneath the universe. And his office, so, so much ineffectual as east to west, is the office of Christ. The effect of Christ, if east to west could be measured, then his effect could be measured, but Aaron's office is completely moot by comparison to the office of Christ. And so he comes and he lays his hand upon the goat, which will carry the iniquities of the people. Previously to this, a second lamb has been slaughtered. Now, I like to use use the word slaughter because in the English language, it's a very effective word. I remember years ago passing the stench of a slaughterhouse. And the smell that would come when you were close enough to the dead animals that had been slaughtered and their blood carried away and their flesh and offal for distribution, for human consumption. And it produces inside my stomach a kind of an eerie sense of death and end and completion. And so the first lamb has been slaughtered. The first lamb is analogous to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is slaughtered on the cross of Calvary. The second lamb is analogous to the divine second person of the Trinity. Remember, brothers and sisters, when Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth, he is a dual-natured being. He has in him a full divine nature and also a full human nature. And only the weight of the divine nature can carry the guilt of the sin of mankind. So Aaron comes and he puts his hand representatively upon the lamb and he confesses over... The lamb, the guilt that is done by iniquity being the twisted nature of man. The sin done by transgression, that's deliberate breaking of the law. And the sin done by missing of the mark. This covers the three realms in which men sin and are deemed sinners before God. And so something of a transference has occurred. The guilt of the people is transferred. This, of course, is A picture for us, but this with Christ is supernatural. It is transferred onto the hand of the goat and the goat is sent out. I want you to imagine what made that you're in court. Charged with an offense. Let's make it a really bad offense. A very dark offense. As you arrive into court, you know that you're guilty of this. You arrive into the courtroom, the prosecuting counsel is on the left. He's got his garb, his boxes of files representing the evidence of the state against you. To the right is the jury of your peers who will scrutinize every statement that is made over the next coming days and weeks. With you is your counsel for the defense, but he's only a mitigatory counsel. He's only trying to water down what will come forth from the prosecution. You know you're guilty. During that time of examination, everything that you have done in this one issue will be scrutinized. The prosecution will put forward their case. Evidence will be called for. Witnesses will take the stand. And you can imagine the weight of guilt that is coming upon the one who is so accused, who knows that he is guilty of this very dark crime, this one crime, this one time perhaps when he did this, but however, nonetheless, he knows. And the weight begins to come upon him day after day with every witness giving their damning testimony as to what they heard and what they saw that you did. The weight of such guilt is incomprehensible. And then the star witness for the prosecution rightly takes the place on the podium and gives their evidence, and this is the first-hand account, and you have to sit there and listen. The judge is there in all of his garb listening to everything. The jury have taken it in. The media are writing about it. Your circle knows all about what you've done. Your friends, former, now all know what you've done. Your family knows what you have done. You are truly and utterly exposed for all to see. The jury retires. The foreman is called. The verdict is presented. All rise. The justice is ready to be done and justice must be done. Every one of us, will no one in this room will allow for a world where justice is not done. In our stomachs, it's written into us. In our minds, we know it's true. Justice must be done. The guilty verdict must come. And with the guilty verdict, punishment, harsh treatment, must be paid back to you for the grime that you are guilty of. And with harsh punishment, after you have served your sentence, the most most difficult thing of all to live with after this will be censure. You'll be on a register. Everyone will know everywhere that you are, who you are, and what you have done. Until your dying breath, you will carry the censure. You may have paid the price. You may have suffered well. You may have become a prisoner and been the best and been discharged early for your good behavior, but you will always, always, always carry the censure. In the back of your mind, you may flee and start a new life somewhere else, but it will be there. The censure will be there, reminding you whenever your thoughts drift back to that place of what it was that you did. Censure. Now picture with me as the justice... Hammer is about to fall against you. Someone comes into the courtroom. Let's say it's a parent to plead with the judge. Your honor, says the parent, I love my child. My life is almost lived. I'm happy to take his place. I'll take the punishment. What would the jury say? No way. An innocent person cannot be punished for a guilty one. What will the victim say? Absolutely no way. An innocent person cannot take the place of a guilty one. What will the media say? What will society say? Guilty, punishment, that is how this works. And so the justice hammer is about to fall, but the judge stops. It's called the judge Professor X. You know when he comes into a room, he just says everyone take a nap and everyone just freezes. You ever see Professor X? I'll give you a while with that one. And the judge turns to the woman or the man, the parent who was offering substitution. And says, okay, I will allow you to take their place on one condition. And she says, any condition. Or he says, any condition. Not only will you do the time, but by the time my hammer hits the floor here and the guilty verdict happens, everything your child has done will transfer to you. Now listen carefully. You will become guilty of the crime. Your spouse will think you've done it. Your children will think you've done it. Society will think you have done it. It will be in the eyes of the jury as if you had done it. You will bear the censure, not just the punishment. I wonder, brothers and sisters, what the parent would say in that circumstance. I don't think I can do that. I put it to you this way. There isn't a man in the universe could do it. There isn't a human being alive extant today that could take that censor for you. Oh, they could take the punishment. I could take the lashes from my children. I could do time for my children. But I cannot be guilty of this. I can't carry the weight of that. This is just one crime, folks, one crime. This person isn't on trial for the lies and the stealing and the cheating and the dishonesty that they have done in their lives. This is just one crime, one crime. And I, as the parent, have to shun back and say, I can't take the censure. I can take the punishment, perhaps. I can do the time, but I can't be guilty of something that I haven't done. Not that. No, please. No, I can't. I'm sorry, son. I love you, but I cannot take the censure. In order for us to be forgiven for our sins somebody had to take the censure. In order for somebody or for us to be forgiven for our sins a transference of guilt had to occur. No man, as we have seen can stand up under the weight of even their own guilt. Not to mention the guilt of somebody else especially the guilt of a crime I have not committed. In order for my sins to be forgiven and your sins to be forgiven, somebody had to take the guilt. And when that person took the guilt, then they become punishable. Isaiah 53 says, it pleased the Father to crush him. In order for me to be forgiven for my sins, divine wrath is to be assuaged. We don't like talking about wrath. Not a nice subject. But the wrath of God is stored up for that fateful day. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Thanks be to God for Jesus. In order for yours and my sins to be forgiven, justice, divine justice, must be satisfied. In order for your sins and my sins to be forgiven in a perfect sacrifice, then and only then will guilt be cleansed. Then and only then will forgiveness be procured. I like that word, procured. You know, when a company sends out a procurement, it means a price will be paid to acquire. Does that mean that God had to acquire forgiveness by means of the price of the blood of his own precious son? Think about that. Hold on to that thought. And with forgiveness procured, sins are remitted. And so as I was preparing these thoughts on the atonement, I asked myself the question, as I often do when I'm alone and when I'm preparing and I'm interacting with the Holy Spirit. He is not a silent interactee. He is a very busy talker, and he has much to say. But as the Scripture says, sometimes we are hard of hearing and we are distracted by our many distractions. But oh, when you turn off the distractions and make a deliberate effort, whether you be 5 or 50, I don't care how old you are or how long you're saved, when you turn off the distractions, and my, have we been distracted this last 18 months? My goodness me, so much fear and unnecessary for us as believers to be in fear. It's unnecessary. We are going to heaven, Folks. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and we need to remember that. Your prayers are heard in heaven. You have a high place in the assembly of God as sons and daughters of the living God. And so I was thinking in my office, Lord, here's the question that was going on in my mind. How was it possible? How was it possible for the transference of guilt from the human race to your beloved son, Jesus Christ. And I was reminded immediately of the verse in Genesis 22 when this revelation came to Isaac first. And he said, Father, he said, the wood is here and the fire for the burnt offering, but where is the lamb? And God's or rather Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. God would knew, brothers and sisters, before the divine creative decree to actualize his universe, he knew he would come. He knew there would be no way that we would be able to somehow transfer the guilt of our own lives to something or someone else. He knew he would have to come himself. He knew he would have to take on a human body. He knew he would have to take on a rational soul. And he knew he would be forever altered, the second person of the Trinity. You see, there's three persons in God. In the second person, the Trinity is now unique because he has both divine and human components, dual-natured, and he's forever changed. How is that possible, Lord? How can I bring the message to a close in a way that's coherent and yet God glorifying and theologically correct? And he said, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and close your message there. So if you flick over with me to 2 Corinthians 5, Are you speechless? can hear a pin drop in this room. I've been speechless for months. You know the book of Revelation where it talks about the elders and the creatures that fall before the throne? And all they do all day long is worship? I now know why that is the case. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. I think often where I would be if God had not arrested my life's journey with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you ever think like that? Often I think where I would be. Do you ever stop and say, I wonder where I would be now if at that flashpoint moment of Christ's intervention I had rejected him. I had said no. Where would I be? What would I be doing? Where would I be going in my life? What level of deception and darkness would be at play flowing through me? I tell you, if you've been born into a Christian home, you give God praise. you got a leg up. you got a leg up. If you've come to Christ and you came almost, as it were, by yourself with no Christian influence, but God touched your heart through another believer, most blessed are you. Most blessed. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet believed. Most blessed. He says, God was in Christ. I love the wording here. Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him. And his committed to was the word of reconciliation. Reconciling the world, the world to himself. This is a most profoundly glorious snippet view into the heart of God. That God is in Christ. Amen. Right the way through that journey of 33 perfect and glorious years, the second person of the Trinity cohabiting in flesh with a human nature, walking perfectly, the Bible says, about him no deceit was found in his mouth. None, not once did he tell a lie. The Bible says that his deeds were found complete in the sight of his God, means his deeds were perfect, the lamb without blemish, without spot. And God was in Christ the Father, reconciling the world through himself. And yet the world accuses him and denies him and judges his motives and judges his heart. And swears his name. And sadly, all too often in our journey, we have resorted to the same kinds of behaviors as Christians, especially when the pressure comes on us, folks. Lord, why has this happened to me? Not able to see that moment in time, that everything that God allows into my life, that everything that God allows to come into my life is for my benefit ultimately. You know, it's making me take a step back now. I'm well able to talk, you know. But I find myself saying less and less and less. I find my hand going over my mouth when I consider the atonement wrought by Christ. Paul goes on to say, not imputing our sins and trespasses to us, If God has not imputed our sins to us, then to whom has he imputed them? Because they haven't gone away, right? I mean, just because it's done in the past doesn't mean my sins have gone away. If God has not imputed my sins to me, then whom has he imputed them sins to? And if my sins are still there, then I'm guilty. And if I'm guilty, I'm subject to punishment, harsh treatment, and censure. That's the reality, folks. But now, says the Apostle Paul, he has not imputed your sins to you. For First 21 tells us very simply, for he, that is God the Father, made him Jesus Christ the Son, who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Let's go back to the courtroom when the judge says to the parent, I will let you pay the price as long as you take the censure. And the parent backs off and says, I cannot carry the weight of the guilt of one sin, much less alone the weight of the guilt of somebody else's. But the Bible teaches us that God the Father made Christ who knew no sin, no deceit, no evil, no bad thought, no bad day. He had to learn obedience from the things he suffered. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to drink and eat. He had to learn how to learn like everybody else. He had no particular advantage. He had every particular obstacle that you and I have, brothers and sisters. And God made this holy, blessed, divine Logos, Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity. And He transferred His the guilt of our sins to His own Son. He became sin. He became guilty. He became punishable. And received our punishment. Coming to a close. Question still must be asked how? How can God punish an innocent person? Christ was perfectly innocent. If Christ was perfectly innocent, God can't punish Christ, can He? The answer is called vicarious liability. That word vicarious means to live out your life through another. You'll often see parents living vicariously through their children. You know, The parent that didn't have the advantage of the college education does everything to ensure that the child does. The parents that didn't have the advantage of every privilege and now moving forward in life makes every effort to ensure the child that they have brought into this world gets every advantage. And so their successes are? The parents' success. Their victories are the parents' victories. When they score a goal for the team, you know, and you could never play football, when they score that goal, it's as if you scored it yourself. And by this vicarious transfer, even though he did no deceit, no evil, no harm, perfect, holy, righteous Lamb of God, by virtue of this vicarious transfer, took the guilt, brothers and sisters... And I don't want you to see Christ going up the hill of of Golgotha with a big bag on his back called sin. That's not how he took it. In the eyes of everyone, he was the sinner. In the eyes of everyone, he was the punishable one. A cursed death for a wretch. For he, God the Father, made him Christ the Son who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The righteousness of God in same fashion as you see Christ suffering as the guilty one has been transferred to you. When I realized that, I've known the gospel 40 years and more. When I grasped that, it blew my mind. I put to the back now for all times these self-introspecting thoughts of how bad I am and how much I failed and how if everyone knew who I really were, blah, 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 blah. Into the back it goes. My father is the prodigal's father and he wept on the neck of his son. My father is the shepherd of the one hundred. And he has such care that if even one goes missing, he goes after them. My father is the king who forgives 10,000 talents at the click of a finger. That's who my father is. And if that is who my father is, I will not spend another day of my life bowing down to the thoughts of the past and all the rotten ways I'm a failure and all the rotten ways that I'm a mess. And I will take one step forward every day that I might rise in the courage of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God and bless another human being. You heard what I said? I want to bless another human being. And I want to go from day to day blessing other human beings. It starts with my spouse. She must be the most blessed of women. Then my children must be the most blessed of children. Then my church, the most blessed church I've ever been to. And pastors and leaders, the most blessed pastors and leaders I've ever had in my life. And my colleagues, the most blessed colleagues. And my boss, the most blessed boss. And the person on the street who holds his hand out looking for alms, he shall not have one alms. He shall have ten alms and more. Because my life is to be a blessing. If my guilt has been transferred to Christ and I stand as the righteousness of God, too right my life will be a blessing. Where do I bow? Hallelujah. I said that to a man one day. He's trying to mock my faith. And I shared with him some of this message. I said, are you kidding me? God does all this for me. And all he asks is for my love in return. He can have everything. He can have my love. He can have my mind. He can have my money. He can have my possessions. He can have the lot. Where do I bow my knee to worship this great God? Closing in John chapter 14. The tender heart of the blessed apostle John. One of the greatest divines ever to put pen to paper. John chapter 14, and then we have no altar call this morning. Unless you're sick, come up for prayer. This is not an altar of repentance. Unless you're not saved, you need to be saved, come up for prayer. But if you're saved this morning, this is an altar of rejoicing. He is rejoicing to open the eyes of the hearts of His people and deliver the atonement of His Son. In place of your wretched wickedness and my wretched wickedness. He is rejoicing to impute his righteousness to you and to me. Hallelujah. He is rejoicing over his sons and daughters this morning. So it's time to take the big foot off your own back. Brothers and sisters, hard to walk on one leg when the other leg is on top of your own back, isn't it? Hard to be happy, isn't it? Hard to have a good message of greeting and heartiness and happiness when you don't know who you are. Listen to what Jesus said about his relationship with us. <laughs> That's one of my favorite verses in the whole Gospel to John. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My Father will love him. Now, word does not mean commandments. He's not saying you'll be obedient to commandments. That's all Old Testament Judaism fulfilled at Calvary. His Word is the second person of the Trinity, the Logos. Keeping His Word is keeping Christ. Amen? If anyone loves me, he will keep my Word. My Father will love him at my say-so. My Father will love him. And we will come and make our home with Him. Amen? So when we say Jesus came into my life or came into my heart, He didn't come into my left ventricle. You know, He isn't in my stomach this body is just an organ that my soul uses to navigate the world. He came in to live at the communion level of the soul. And that's where he is at, the very nexus of yours and my life. And this is what he has said. We will come. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will come. If you love me. Do you love him this morning? I said, Do you love him this morning? I got three amens. Do you love him this morning? I'm not going to stop asking until I hear everyone say yes at the top of their voice. Do you love Jesus Christ this morning? Hallelujah. Well, he's just said, my Father will love you. And we will make our abode in you. And living in your soul, right beside where you live, is the Lord Jesus Christ with his blessed Father and his Holy Spirit. You are blessed